This is Flyperbole with Steve Jacot and Craig Forsyth. Hello and welcome back to Flyperbole under quarantine. I am Steve Jacot podcasting live from South Philadelphia, a place that has had helicopters constantly flying overhead for the past week, a place that has decided that the most the things that need the most protection in this city our most valuable assets are a target and a Christopher Columbus statue and a place that decided to reenact the worst episode of the Sopranos over the past week what a magical place South Philadelphia is my god it's great i'm here with Craig Forsyth Craig how are you my friend I'm doing good. I just want a clarification. The the helicopters and the people defending uh, a great national, uh, you know, monument. Is that just people outside of your apartment making sure nobody's going to attack this recording of Flat Purple? Just making sure all the people will get this great hour yeah, and a half coaches and whatnot. Yeah. I got ten guys with <laughs> uh, with baseball bats and hockey sticks outside to to make sure. Yeah. No. I, really valid arguments for yeah. Yeah, oh that sounds. God. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's still, look, everything's cool outside. It's all, we don't need to, everybody's all right. We're all good. Uh, so let's just focus on uh, hockey right now. That's all, you know, that's the main thing everybody's talking about is just uh, hockey and uh, the Flyers of the past, uh, Flyers coaches of the past two decades, I think is what, is all most people's oh, see, minds today. I, you ruined it because I had a transition and you had <laughs> oh, to go and grab okay. the transition. No, go ahead, go My transition was, well, it is Father's Day this week and who more fatherly than the coach on a hockey team? Who's a more fatherly? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, that's a, well, it would be Matt, Matt Niskanen. But I, in most cases, yes, it would be the head coach. Yeah, I guess head coach. That's a good one. We'll go with that one. So you go ahead and run that again, and then we'll cut mine out. And, oh, uh, no, we're already here. We've oh, we're already live? So we're already, okay. Let's yeah, so our, our topic for this week <laughs> on Fly Purbly Under Quarantine, we're going to do it live, is – Coaches. We're going to talk about the coaches. Are we talking the last decade or are we talking since uh, the year 2000? Since the year 2000. Since which, the year 2000. I mean, I'm not a time doctor, but that's two decades, right? 20 years, 2000, 2020. That's all. It's all the same. We're going to end up. Time doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't go to school. What the fuck is a time doctor? I didn't get my medical degree in telling time, but isn't, you know, that's a, it's a fiscal two decades there that's 20 20 years yeah so uh doctor oh my that is a start that's fantastic yes we're gonna talk about the coaches that the flyers have had since the year 2000 and there's been quite a few of them there have been according to again not a not a numbers guy uh 10 guys to stand behind the bench we are Steve and I discussed this hard-hitting meeting right before the pod. It took about two seconds. We're not going to count the two most recent guys behind the bench. That would be A.V., who I think we're in agreement. He's been doing pretty good in his first uh, 69 games, a very nice amount of games behind the bench. Uh, I mean, he's in the running for the Jack Adams this year. I think he has a pretty good case. The season's been so long ago. I don't remember. It was uh, Tortorella and Sullivan because all the Penguins and Blue Jackets were injured a lot. But uh, I think A.V. is right there because the Flyers actually 
became an overall better team and it wasn't just look at this team overcoming all these injuries. So I think I think he's got a legit case and we're we're still in the honeymoon phase. He hasn't done anything dumb or annoying yet. So we all still like AVA. Uh, and then uh, Scott Gordon. I, I said we shouldn't count because he kind of got uh, boned. He was thrown in as an interim coach into a pretty uh, pretty bad team. Uh, and even though the team got worse with him, um, he won 25, 22, and 4, received some consideration about being kept on. And, uh, you know, the Flyers didn't want to look outside for a replacement, but thank God they decided to. I don't think he's really that great of a coach, but again, I don't think it was really fair to base him off of what happened last year. So, uh, great at doing splits. <clears throat> Absolutely great at splits. Great at doing, yeah. I mean, he's still, uh, still got a lot of, uh, he still knows to do all of the bean pot shot, all the BPT. I don't know. He'll occasionally bust it out, but he didn't really like it last year because, uh, uh you know, well, it was something funny to point out while he was doing pretty bad at doing the whole hockey coaching thing. But, uh, we got, so that leaves us with eight head coaches from bean Roger Nielsen trot. <laughs> to, it's a good old Dave Haxtell, and uh, we'll go through them, talk about their tenures in Philly, and then rank them. And uh, I got a feeling I already know who's going to be dead last. Uh, might be because of recency bias, but who knows. Uh, but we'll go through uh, from 2000 to uh, Dave Haxtell. So Roger Nielsen. Roger Nielsen, who has a pretty, I mean, had a pretty interesting coaching career altogether, and then just his time in Philly was, I don't, I don't want to say... Interesting. It was it was uh, impacted by a very big Bob Clark moment uh, with uh, one of Bob Clark's shittier moments as a, a GM. And I, I guess as a person uh, came through here. But Roger Nielsen uh, came in after Wayne Cashman, who came in for uh, replaced Terry Murray back in 97-98. Nielsen went 92-57-33-3. This is back when they did wins, losses, ties, and overtime losses from 97-98 to 99. What a system. Good Lord. 2000. Yeah, I don't remember how they kept track of the. Uh, I, I think, I think it was still two points for a win, zero for a loss, one for a tie, zero for overtime loss, and they used that as like a row. Like a I actually didn't realize they were doing overtime losses back then. Like uh, I, I knew ties were a thing, and believe me, it was the worst. If I if I'm not, I thought at one point in time they did five. I might be. I'm probably making that up. But I remember they went to four, and I thought they did one season where it was like they did overtime wins and losses too. Again, I probably should have looked that up right before this, but uh, yeah, this was, I, I don't know what the NHL was thinking. I don't know what the NHL was thinking most of the time, but that's neither here nor there. 97-98, went 10-92 coming in for Cashman. Flyers lost in the first round to the Sabres in five games, 98-99, 37-26-19, lost to Toronto in six games in the 99 Eastern Conference quarterfinals. And then, of course, we know what happened in 2000, but the story with that was he got cancer in December of 99. He was diagnosed with um, bone marrow uh, cancer. Um, had to leave the team. Craig Rams, who was named the interim head coach in February of 2000. Uh, Nielsen was healthy and able to come back behind the bench for the second round of the 2000 postseason against the Penguins. Uh, Bob Clark said, uh, pretty much just told him not to come back uh, Citing his health as a concern, I guess, was uh, the reason why he didn't want to come back at the time, or the reason why he told Nielsen. Uh, Francis was behind the bench to end up losing to the Devils in the next round. And then um, Nielsen never came back. So pretty much ended up getting cancer in 99, late 99. Was healthy enough to come back, wanted to come back. Clark told him not to come back in the postseason. And then 
they hired Craig Ramsey in the summer of uh, of 2000. He went 12, 12, and four in his first 28 games as head coach before he got fired. So then uh, Bobby Clark went on TSN, had an interview with Gordon Murphy, and pretty much it, the topic of Roger Nielsen came up, like why he wasn't rehired. And Clark said, quote, the Nielsen situation, Roger got cancer. That wasn't our fault. We didn't tell him to go get cancer. It's too bad that he did. We feel sorry for him. But then he went goofy on us. Ooh, so, boy. So that was Clark's response to that. That's the thing I always remember about Nielsen, because, again, this was when I was – younger i remember my dad talking about him a bunch but i didn't know i remember clark's comments about that and i remember being kind of shocked about that because i felt pretty bad at the time and it's a pretty shitty thing to say about any coach but that is um that was the the note he went out on uh in philly and i wanted to point out the bunch of he was very innovative in in a lot of ways that he kind of bent the rules uh in hockey and uh one of them was you see it all the time now or i see it all the time now in NHL when I play it. And it happens every once in a while in games in the NHL. But whenever a team has an offensive zone draw with like two or three seconds left and they pull their own goalie for an extra attacker, he was somebody who created that strategy. Nobody was trying, was pulling the goalie in the last couple seconds, realizing that there's pretty much no, it's not possible for them to get the puck down the ice. So may as well get one more guy up there. He invented that. Uh, He used to coach in the OHA, which used to be the OHL before the OHL way back. Uh, he used to, instead of having a goalie for a penalty shot, defend on a penalty shot, he would put a defenseman in that because a defenseman can charge at the skater right away. And apparently back in the OHA, he did have a defenseman that was able to rush a forward, skating the puck in on a penalty shot at like the blue line and break it up. And then the league had to reassess the rules. Uh, goalie, this is the one I was trying to tell you to do before the show too, was apparently whenever he pulled a goalie, he would tell the goalie to leave his goalie stick on the goal line. And then it worked to perfection one time where his goalie did that, went to the bench. The opposing team tried to clear the puck into the empty net, hit his hit his goalie's goalie stick on the goal line and stayed out of the net. And his team was able to clear it, so then the league had to look at it. He, he did a lot of that stuff on top of being just, uh, what was it? He was nicknamed Captain Video because he was the first coach who brought in video analysis of games. Also was the first coach to track scoring chances, match lines, and breakdown techniques at their face-off draws. So he was, he was a pretty creative guy and actually had a lot of – was ahead of a lot of stuff that you see coaches implementing now or, like I guess, like bare-bones versions of what people do now, but it's because they probably had Nielsen's insight um, in mind when they were, they were coaching their team. So that uh, – I think for him, maybe not really his like, time with the Flyers, but – in terms of actual coaches that have been with the Flyers since 2000, he might actually be the best one. <laughs> but uh, I don't remember much. Do you remember much about Nielsen? I remember everything with him leaving the team and Clark's comments and everything. I don't remember anything about him. I think he was also behind the bench for. Um, they always cut to him during the um, the uh, the Ty Domi incident with Adam Burt that we always talk about. Because I they always cut to him during those sequences. I always see him on the bench during those fights. But outside of that, I don't really remember that much about uh, Nielsen. Yeah, I mean, I remember Nielsen kind of driving my dad nuts, but I don't really remember what he did in particular that drove him nuts, which, I, I don't know, maybe <laughs> it's the same thing that Clark's saying with the, this ill-phrased goofy comment, because he was goofy by NHL coach standards. Like, he wasn't, he was unconventional, but, you know, obviously Clark's statement is completely inappropriate. Yeah, and it, the, the it seems like there, Clark's... But, 
Nielsen certainly was, he was innovative, but he was also just not your prototypical NHL coach in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's what it sounded like. And just, um, I think also, or I did want to point out too, he was the coach who, uh, you ever see old clips of like the Canucks holding up a white flag, pretty much like forfeiting a game or giving up on a game. And apparently it was back in 1982. He was the head coach of the Canucks. They were in a series against the Blackhawks, uh, and he felt like the Canucks weren't getting calls all series. And in the middle of a game where they had gotten like two or three bad calls, he just took uh, the athletic trainer's towel and put it on the end of a stick and just put it up to pretty much say like he's, you know, they're giving up because of how bad the officiating is. And apparently that became a whole thing. But I don't, I don't know too much about that incident. But uh, what I always but, liked about Nielsen is yeah. that he looked like uh, an older, like you know, when rock stars get old. Like he just had that look about him. He looks like he should be in the Who. Yeah, I, I know what you right. Mean. Like yeah. he should be like, in the Who or like Pink Floyd or something. Just yeah, he's gonna be doing bass for Cheap Trick on their upcoming tour to like the local casinos. Yeah, I, he does have that look. He definitely gets all that. That it's something with the hair. Uh, yeah, it's the hair. It's exactly the hair. Uh, very yeah. like Roger Daltrey esque, like older yeah, like, Roger yeah. Daltrey. I don't know if that's right there for us because Roger. Uh, but you know that's who who I thought of too when uh, you're talking about the rock hair. Um, and if you want to do a segue, so speaking of some guy that didn't have a lot of hair, Craig Rampy, <laughs> 12, 12, 12 and four. He was completely lacking hair, and the fact that Nielsen got canned in the the just awful way he did for Craig Ramsey is one of the great Flyers travesties. For, for Craig Ramsey, for only 28 games, is astonishing. That kind of speaks to the whole idea of, like, what Clark used to do back in the day. Like, he, I mean, he would go and do something obnoxious like that with Nielsen, and then literally for, and Ramsey was somebody that, uh, he was only a coach in one other, uh, one other position beside the Flyers, and that was for part of a season, and 86-87 with the Sabres, I believe it was, yeah. So after they let go of Scotty Bowman, and before they hired uh, Ted Sater, they brought in Craig Ramsey for part of the season went four fifteen and two, and then after the Flyers, he was with the Thrashers their last season in Atlanta, went thirty four thirty six and twelve, and then Claude Noel took over for the Jets once they moved to Winnipeg. So like it wasn't like a big name hire either. It wasn't like they went from Nielsen to like the equivalent of like a Quinville or like an AV or anybody. It was literally just a guy. They went from like Nielsen to another John Stevens pretty much, <laughs> which right. is like, I like, why make that, why make that move for, I, I don't know. But he, he looked like Blofeld from James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks, uh, I mean, he looks, he looks very much like Craig Ramsey. He has a very distinct face, but I, I mean, I can't think of, uh, he would be better with the pop culture reference there, but, uh, I'm going to say he's probably down on the bottom of the list when it comes to coaches since 2000. Maybe the the least important one. Maybe yeah. the one just because he wasn't here for that long. So I just want to know why he was brought back for 28 games. Like, that's just like. Yeah. Like, it's exactly. like with yeah. it's like with Peter Laviolette. Like, just 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 get somebody like go through the whole hiring process in the offseason and just get somebody. Yep. Yeah. At exactly. least like at least with Ramsey, you can you have the defense that you they were maybe grooming Bill Barber, who was very successful with the Phantoms. But that's yeah. really the only defense you can, well, you can really go for that sequence of events. And there's not much and, defense because they handled it piss poor. Yeah. And to go into that, uh, Bill Barber was the per- coach that replaced Ramsey. 
went 73-40 and 17 over two seasons. Uh, his first season replacing Ramsey went 31-13 and 7. Uh, and they the, the Flyers lost in six games to the Sabres in 2001 Eastern Conference quarterfinal. But he did become, Barber became one of uh, the fourth Flyers head coach when the Jack Adams. Fred Shiro did it in uh, 74. Pat Quinn did it in 80. Mike Keenan did it in 85. And then Bill Barber did it in 2000-2001. So it's kind of impressive that Barber did it without those other three guys had. Shiro won a cup. Quinn and Keenan did it with teams that made it to the cup. And Bill Barber was able to come in midseason and win that award with a team that obviously didn't have enough skill to make it to the cup. So that is kind of impressive. Uh, second season, 42-27-10, lost in five games to the Senators in 2002. That was the infamous series where the Flyers scored a total of two goals in five games, five games with two overtime periods. So uh, two goals in 17 periods. Of high- That's just good offense. That's just it's called getting the boys going. Uh, they did win the Atlantic Division that year. And then they 2010-11 the shit out of it. Uh, they were after a 3-1 win over the Maple Leafs on January 19th, 2002, for their eighth straight win. They were at 29-12 and five. Uh, they finished the season 42-27 and 10, which means over their last 33 games they went 13-15 and five. So they won 13 of their final 31 games. No, 33. I was right. Yeah, 13 of their final 33 games. Yeah, and then finished second in the East. So they went from having a big lead in the East to dropping down the second in the Eastern Conference and going in the playoffs pretty shaky or cold, as you can see by the, the outcome. So, And apparently, I mean, the big reason why he was let go was players uh, hated him. Uh, this was, I found a, a Hockey Future article, an AP article up. Hockey's Future. Barber's dismissal comes one day after the coaches, players... Uh, viciously last out on him while cleaning out their lockers for the final time of the season. Several players, most notably Captain Keith Primo, Mark Recchi, Vic Taka, Chris Tierney, and goaltender Brian Boucher, blasted Barber's handling of the team, his coaching decisions, and his perceived refusal to communicate with the veteran players. Kind of sounds a little bit like somebody else. Uh, but also, uh, via AP, Primo, when asked about it, he said, we had the worst power play in the league. Why are we not practicing it? Primo said, the tirades on the bench all season long, we said if someone makes a mistake, they're getting yelled at. Uh, and to Primo's point, the Flyers finished uh, that season 21st on the power play. And uh, apparently they're just getting yelled at by Barber on the bench. So I guess that would uh, probably doesn't sit well with uh, veteran players. And that was something that I think was happening a lot with Hackstall. And also, to your point about them grooming uh, Barber to be the next uh, up-and-coming coach, he was the Phantoms head coach when they won the Calder Cup in 98. Uh, with your boys, Mike Manilonk and Vinny Prospel, and then Hell he yeah. was assistant coach. Uh, I think, he, yeah, he was, was with the, the Phantoms or the Flyers for a year, I think. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> again, in terms of results, I guess he wasn't the worst uh, option. I just, it sounds like something that couldn't have gone on for much longer. Like, it sounds like he couldn't have come back for that 2002 2003 season, or else it would have gotten, you would have been firing up halfway through the season and kind of trying to regain positions in the standings to help a team like the usual flyers uh, song and dance you know yeah stick with the coach fire him about 20 games of the season and then see if you can pull out a, a postseason run with that so uh you got any bill barber uh, memories any bill barber thoughts anything uh I, as a player he was my dad's favorite player and like i he was an incredible player obviously he still leads the team in scoring goals and uh all those clips from the cup runs and him laying out the Russians uh, back in 76. So uh, coaching-wise, though, uh, it seems like he was not the 
the most ideal coach or the most beloved coach i should say i mean i was excited for him to come up because it was cool to see uh, a legendary flyer do oh, his yeah. due, you know take his make his dues or whatever the the phrase is in the, <laughs> yeah. the minor leagues and uh pay his dues in the minor leagues and and come up and go through the system and like just completely homegrown flyer coach like it was a cool experience and watching those phantoms teams in the late 90s you know when they were in philadelphia that i was really excited and i really had high hopes for barber and it sucked that it ended like it did and he didn't catch on with the players and didn't apparently just didn't even work with the vets so it's you know it did not work out well, so I don't have great memories of him as the head coach, but I had a great deal of excitement for him going in, which is, again, a lot like uh, the most recent fired head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's... Uh... Yeah, I you know, I remember... I think my, my first initial reaction to Hackstall was just like, what the fuck, who is this? And then I started to give him a chance, and that turned out to be the wrong. But I remember first hearing the name, I was like, I don't even... Like, who the fuck is Dave Hackstall? And then oh, going, see, we'll talk about it more in the Hackstall area, but I was actually relieved that they went with somebody I hadn't heard of because yeah. one of my problems, and I even had this problem when they hired Elaine Vigneault, is going with the same old, same old, these guys who've just been through, like, every NHL team and back, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's it was nice to see some fresh blood. But again, we will get to that. Much like the, the Dave Hackstall situation we're talking about, and... Uh, you know, like there are some parallels to Bill Barber for sure. Now that I think about it, but uh, the Flyers went with a proven NHL commodity coming out of the Bill Barber fiasco, and they went with Ken Hitchcock, who had won a cup with the Dallas Stars and had been around in the league for uh, been a while. Yeah, and he turned out the. I would say, I want to say Hitchcock's tenure here was pretty. I, I get fine successful i don't know i don't know if successful is the right word for anybody in philly but i thought uh the run in 04 is pretty good but oh i really like hitchcock i i think yeah. he's a top three coach from the past 20 years for sure uh yeah. i i don't know i i always had good feelings about him and the, the job he did here especially defensively yeah um more about uh hitchcock was 131 73 28 and 22 course going back to the ties and overtime losses and all that uh 254 games with philly from 2002 03 to 06 07 02 03 45 20 13 and 4 ended up being the four seed in the east they beat the maple leafs in seven games before losing to the sens in six 2003 04 was 40 21 15 and 6 and then they lost to the lightning in seven games in the Eastern conference final 0506, 45, 26, and 11, and then lost to the Sabres in six games in your Eastern Conference quarterfinals. And then 0607 was 1601 before being fired early in the season. Um, and then also, I guess it's worth noting too, he did win the Jack Adams in 2011 12 with the Blues, uh, went 43, 15, 11 to finish second in the West before getting swept by the Kings in the second round. Uh, yeah, I, I thought when he was here, I. I mean, I didn't have any problems with Hitchcock, and I thought a lot of people liked liked the team when he was here. Um, and yeah, everywhere he goes, it seems to be improved defensive play. And when you, I mean, again, that O three O four team had a lot of injuries to overcome in the postseason, and they made it pretty deep. Um, made pretty deep in the postseason then, and so much made a Stanley Cup final, even having to play Sam McCaffrey on defense and doing things like that. Um, so I, 
yeah, I mean, Hitchcock, I, I he might, in terms of, like, Flyers coaches since 2000, he might actually, he might be the best one the team has seen. Maybe. I mean, because when I'm looking, when I think of some of these other guys uh, that came after him, uh, I mean, again, these these are guys that all had great, a lot more success away from here uh, than they've had in Philly. So I'm not quite sure. If, uh, 131 wins over four seasons or a couple seasons is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and the, the team was very consistent with. Ken Hitchcock, which I really appreciated. Like they were always competitive teams. They were always teams at the near the top of the standings and you could really rely on them to, to be a competitor in the Eastern conference. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have too much else to add about Hitchcock. I just know that he was a good coach and I don't have any, uh, I don't have any like quit. I, I do. Uh, great mustache. I, uh, great mustache. I was going to say about his physical appearance too. I know they, uh, like it was always a thing where he, teams kind of pushed back on him because it looked like he wasn't an athlete and then he would always kind of like shoot that down or kind of x's and o's his way through that like he was a he was a student of the game and some i think players pushed back on him because of his appearance but he was still able to get there gain their trust and became a pretty good coach anyways so i don't know just thinking about that appearance imagine being the uh the the guy he caught while he was uh stealing from the store (laughs) up in canada yeah I like to imagine that he just full-on tackled that guy, and it wasn't fun. Just, uh, and then, like, start putting handcuffs on him. By the way, it's just, uh, you know, Hitchcock started putting handcuffs on him, and he's like, you just been hitched. That's what he, that's his new TV show, or uh, WB or whatever. So that's, uh, that's Ken Hitchcock. Woof. (laughs) Yeah, not good. That's, uh... Yeah, but after uh, after Ken Hitchcock, we had uh, John Stevens, who was another... Ken Stevens! uh, I was gonna say, another classic, uh... Steve's favorite thing is for sheet cake, which he did after every game. No, no, no. It was they won a playoff <laughs> series. Yeah, and then he would bring in a sheet cake and be like, "Here, you guys, you you deserve this sheet cake because it tastes good, and we just want a playoff series." Whereas it's exactly what he said. So that's uh, there's that. Well, it was he. He talked about how uh, they were each the uh, what was it. I'm 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 pulling up the reference now, but it was like okay. they were each part of the cake. Okay. Yeah, Stevens yeah. made the cake himself and told them they are like the ingredients in the cake. Eaten separately, the flour, eggs, sugar, baking powder, and milk may not taste like much, but when blended together, they produce a delicious cake. You know, and it, it just in terms of great coach talk, like coach, like great coaching moments. That's a that's one of them. Just to make a kick and be like, well, you know, this is actually coaching, and I'll explain to you why. And then that, that I really like that approach. So he's a good, he's a good coach, is what I'm getting at. And uh, he came in relief of Hitchcock after the start of 0607. So 2006-07 wasn't uh, very pretty. Uh, 21-42 and 11, fewest points and wins in Flyers history. Again, not entirely his fault. Uh, 0708 42-29-11 lost to the Penguins in five games in the Eastern Conference Finals. 0809 44-27-11 lost to the Penguins in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then 2009-10 went 13-11 and won before he was fired and Laviolette came in. But I think it's worth pointing out here, the two seasons he had a chance, they the Flyers lost to the Penguins that went on to lose in the Stanley Cup Final and win a Stanley Cup Final. 
which is kind of unfortunate for him. But, uh, I mean, uh, we talked about the sheet cake. He also won the Calder Cup with the Phantoms, being the, uh, the Phantoms head coach back in 2005. Uh, was also, ironically, um, it was the head coach of the Flyers before Lobby like came in and took him to the Cup in 2010. Was also the um, interim head coach with the Kings back in 2011-12. And uh, after they fired Murray, Terry Murray and hired Daryl Sutter, and then was also went back to the Kings uh, in 2017-18. He got swept by the Kings in the first round. And then he got fired 13 games in 2018-19. But John Stevens, uh, I just remember him not having a lot of emotion behind the bench. Or like not really hating any of his tactical decisions or anything. But I just remember him never having any kind of emotion for anything. I think the most excited he looked was after Lupo's goal in 2008. But like everything else was very... like wasn't yelling at people there were no like fire exchanges there weren't like stern looks or anything it was just very he looked like an accountant very x's and o's yeah it looked like yeah it looked like a lifeless accountant like some really boring guy just kind of got in charge of a hockey team and uh it kind of it kind of worked but not really like it didn't i don't know well i mean the thing about stevens is you talk about the swing and coaches where you get the guy who's two player friendly and then you get the guy who's you know mike keenan too mike keenan-esque but Stevens was definitely the way too player friendly. He was the like, the like happy go lucky like, <laughs> like stepdad who's like <laughs> basically like I'm your friend, kids. But he doesn't actually want to discipline anybody. Yeah, yeah. He'll make sure he's friends with everybody. Yeah. yeah, he wants to be friends with everybody, and it's just man. I by the way, I did some more research on the, on the cake, and I I did find a Canadian press uh, hockey news article from 2008. Okay. And I, the quote was mostly right. It was, it kind of symbolizes that all the ingredients by themselves aren't appealing, but when you mix them together and apply some fire, you come up with a better product. Oh, okay. Okay. And this is, I mean, the thing is like Stevens did have to do a lot of that coming off of the end of the Hitchcock era where they they started abysmal, uh, that season one, six and one. And he did have to compensate a lot for that. And, you know, Stevens did an okay job. But, again, he's just too player-friendly at the end of the day. Uh, too much of the nice guy. Great assistant coach, though. He is a guy to have on the bench. He plays the nice guy. The good cop, you know, that uh, we said oh, Ian yeah. LaPerriere is playing on the current uh, crew. And he, he does that well. And John Stevens, you know, he's a good coach with uh, in the minors. And, uh, again, good Phantoms coach came up and just didn't quite have the full full puzzle for the NHL level. But, uh, you know, a guy I liked, I wanted him to do better and sad he didn't, but that's, that's what it is. That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Is that one song goes that we all know and we don't need to talk about it all, but that's uh... the same. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's a, that's pretty good run on John Stevens. That's a, I had a thought in there, and then I lost it. So there you go. That's my analysis. I feel like that's very fitting of, uh, of John Stevens, though. You lost it in the reflection of his glasses. <laughs> yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And that's where I lost back it. Hair. <laughs> it grease back hair. So, but after, let's see. So after John Stevens got fired, and I think it was the game where the Flyers lost to the Canucks in Philly. Kevin Biaxa super super punched Mike Richards. I think is what that Superman punched Mike Richards. I think is the game he got fired. And then Peter Laviolette came in uh, during that beautiful 2009-2010 regular season. Went 145, 98, and 29 with the team over 272 games uh, from 2009-2010 to 2013-14. 
29, uh, 2009, 10, 28, 24, and 5, and then went to game six of the Stanley Cup final. Uh, 2010, 11, 47, 23, 12, and was swept by the Bruins in the second round. 2011, 12, 47, 26, and 9, lost to the Devils in five games in the Eastern Conference semifinals. And then 2012, 13 was a lockout shortened season. That was 23, 22, and 3. And then, of course, 2013-14 was an hilarious 0-3-0 before he got fired. So, uh, And again, Laviolette was – and I was trying to think of stuff with John Stevens, and I couldn't remember exact moments like this. But Laviolette, Berube, and um, Haxall Hall had the advantage of – or maybe the disadvantage for them of they have been head coaches since social media started. So there's a lot of stuff to remember. Like, I remember the, the timeout against the Bruins – uh, for Laviolette in Game 7 that just pretty much bringing the team together, running down 3 nothing, and saying, I just need one. And then JVR's goal started the comeback. I remember that. Uh, punching Leno in the head on the bench during a timeout by accident in 2011. Oh, yeah. And then and then yelling at uh, Granado and Steve Ott uh, during the 2011-12 seasons. So when he yelled at the Penguins bench and when he yelled at Steve Ott that we got to see on 24-7. Like, this is stuff... I'm sure there was stuff like that for the other coaches, but they don't have the uh, the benefit of the doubt of you know being on these shows like uh, like Laviolette and uh, Haxtell and everybody else did. But like, can you I even thought... imagine having some of the older coaches mic'd up, like Mike Keenan and Pat Quinn? Oh my God, no! Mike Keenan near Mike Bell would have been terrible. <laughs> even Scotty Bowman, it would have been like, I mean, yeah, some of these guys must have been. I don't even want to. Imagine the kind of shit they were saying, players, but <laughs> the, like some of their coaching tactics. Uh, um, Laviolette, though, I really did. I liked Laviolette a lot, and I think it's because he was fiery. Uh, again, maybe his systems weren't great. Uh, maybe they just kind of wore, wore out over time. Uh, he's maybe a player that his message, like Keenan, kind of gets worn out over time because, you know, there's only so often a player can get yelled at, I guess. Uh, but. He was the the coach that's been here for the most recent good time as a Flyers fan. So I think that's another reason why he might stick out as my favorite uh, head coach of the last, or like the best head coach of the last 20 years or whatever here too. He's likely the, the, the number one on most people's list here just due to the simple fact that he did reach the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, that, that's it. The, the, that 2010 Cup run, I think, is will stick with a lot of people for a while. And he played... A pretty significant role in that, and I think he had a pretty big focal point in that too when he called the timeout in Game Seven because that was a very, it's a very clear thing you can point to, you know, coaching and sports and especially hockey. It's hard sometimes to dissect and really point out what impact a coach is having on their team night in and night out. Uh, but that was a very clear thing to see, like, oh, he called that timeout and sent a message, and then the game turned around. So he's also got those memorable traits like chopping on that gum and. Saying yeah. jam and all that shit. So it, <laughs> all that shit. Yeah. Let's get some jam up in here. Yeah, all the, all the usual stuff. Uh, and I'm trying to think of... Uh, it'll be upsetting if he goes to the Devils. Again, I, I'm not... I kind of am more worried about Jorah Gallant going to the Devils, but... Uh, Peter Laviolette. Yeah, I mean... You I just and don't also... want to see him go. It's just like Wayne Simmons on the Devils, like we were saying on a previous yeah. hyperbole. You just don't want to see it happen, even though... I don't think it's going to work out for the Devils. I don't think they have the talent to, to win now. And Laviolette yeah. also plays such an offensive-focused system that's not going to help the Devils defensively. But And that's the other thing. He he was a fun offensive coach, and 
when you have a system like that, people do tend to pay a little more attention because the team's yeah. a fun offensive team as opposed to, like, Hitchcock, for instance, like, big defensive coach. Like, really kind of slope things down in the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that, yeah, that is true. Yeah, uh, Laviolette does alter kind of, like, high-flying offense. Yeah, more than a good, like, two-way play, which is, and the, the Devils are not equipped to succeed with that type of game at all right now. And the Flyers, I mean, even the Flyers, Laviolette's, like, that, uh, the lockout-shortened team, that team was, there's nobody was playing defense that year. I mean, that was the year with Curtis Foster and uh, Ken Huskins and Oliver Lawrence and guys like that. So, at once the the Flyers lost their defense and some of their better two-way players up front, that's when Laviolette was hit the hardest, um, which makes sense. I mean, but either way, um, I mean, he was, I, I don't want to say, you know, he might actually be my favorite out of everybody on this list here. I think Laviolette is my favorite out of all the, uh, all the coaches we're going to mention. And also I don't, like they, the Flyers should have. I'll never understand what the start of 2013-14 was because you don't like if you if you were thinking about firing him, you should have done it before the season, or just waited for him to correct the course like a couple more games in that season. You don't fire a coach three games to a season. That doesn't make any three fucking logic. games. Yeah. It makes zero sense. It was, uh, it it just felt like a disaster and. I can't believe that the guy who took over for Laviolette was able to recover as well as he did, considering how bad they started. And, you know, yeah. they talked about what a disaster, like the the press, you know, the, the beats. Take it oh, well. to the beats. Talked about what a beats. terrible, terrible training camp the Flyers yeah. had. Like, a lot of them called it the worst training camp they'd ever seen. And, like, it was clear, I think, Laviolette knew the writing was on the wall. I think the, the players knew it just kind of made for a very discontented atmosphere. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's true. And uh, speaking of just the the look of the franchise and how they look to, I guess, the media in the city after they fired LaViolette, one of the big comments after LaViolette was fired and Ned Snyder was in the, the press conference, uh, Sielski, Mike Sielski, everybody's favorite, asked uh, Snyder about something about does the franchise need a fresh perspective? And Snyder said, we don't need a fresh perspective at all. And that became a whole thing because, you know, the Flyers, you know, they, they haven't wanted to stand like that for a while. So, but that became the noteworthy uh, statement from that press conference, which then led to the Flyers' new coach, uh, Craig Bruby, came in after LaViolette. Uh, one of the first things he did after his first win uh, as the Flyers head coach, um, they beat the Panthers. Jay Rosehill took a double minor late in the third period of that game. And Sealski asked him about, uh, you know, uh, Jay Rosehill's foreman uh, called it unacceptable. And Sealski then asked what his punishment Bruby had in mind. And Bruby responded with, What do you want me to do? Spank him? Get lost? That stupid talk. So his first, in his first game after he won with the Flyers, he told Sealski to get lost. So that probably is, yeah, I'm sure it's not a love that. But I wanted to connect Sealski into these two head coaches here. Uh, Ruby, 75, 58, and 28 in 161 games with the Flyers from 2013-14 through 2014-15. Uh, and again, like you were talking about how well he did coming in relief of LaViolette. 42, 27, and 10. And then lost to the Rangers in seven games. And... Worth noting out, there was like that Ranger series. Emery played the first three games. The Flyers lost game one or game seven, two to one. They lost to 
lost by a goal, and then the Rangers went on to give the Kings a pretty hard-fought five-game series, which I know sounds funny, but I think there were like eight overtime periods in that in that series. So the Flyers really weren't that far from making noise in the 2014 postseason, which if you had told Flyers fans that a couple games into that season, they would have laughed at you because – it looked like it. I think they started off one seven and zero, and the one wooden was against the Panthers here. And if I remember correctly, the Flyers got one of their two goals because like Tim Thomas went to go grab his stick out of the net, and the Flyers got Braden Coburn scored from the blue line or some shit. It was like the it was the most ridiculous goal ever, and that was the Flyers just weren't in a good spot. So to see Bruby get handed that team that looked like it was kind of spinning out of control, and then kind of give it some form of semblance and resemble some kind of NHL team and actually go to the postseason was pretty, uh, was pretty remarkable. Uh, however, though, the love fest stopped with that one season because towards the end of next season is when he started making all the dumbass comments about Sean Couturier and Steve Mason. And the big thing with Sean Couturier was back in 2014-15, he was 22 years old. I think that's the important thing to remember. And it was pointed, pointed out how defensive he was being used like how much he was being uh set up set up for little offensive success so pretty much as a main stat uh or one of the main stats that will highlight this is a percentage percentage of face-offs in the offensive zone in 2010-11 uh Couturier had 39.75 percent of his shifts starting in the offensive zone with a face-off so out of 52 forwards that played 1105 minutes or more in 2015 or 2015-14, which uh, Couturier was one of them, he had the lowest percentage of draws starting in the O-zone with a face-off. So pretty much he had the most amount of work to do at the start of every shift uh, out of anybody in the league. And he was 22 years old at the time, and I think he was on a line with Matt Reed. I had, uh, yeah, Reed and Umberger. And he couldn't produce in that situation. And then Brewery was like, yeah, I don't know what to say. We're, you know, uh, I see other players around the league doing it. And then he said... This is about Patrice Bergeron. Patrice Bergeron, who is a two-way forward, much like Couturier, starts all of his face-offs in his own end and seems to come okay, right? When a top line goes out on the other team, Crosby comes in our offensive zone. Who do you want me to put out there? He plays 24 minutes a night. You tell me Couturier stats in the defensive zone too much. Well, that's his job. He's got to shut Crosby down, and that's why I put him out there. For him to improve as a player, he needs to understand he needs to get it deep in the offensive zone and get it done. And in closing, shut up, nerd. Yeah, that's pretty much what it comes down to. But I think of that comment, and then him later that season too. He also yelled at Steve Mason for like he's got to get through screens to see if somebody shots. But the whole thing with that was the game he told Mason to do that and was giving Mason shit for not looking through screens. Nick Schultz was on the ice for a goal where he's literally standing two feet in front of Steve Mason, not boxing out anybody, giving him a pretty hard screen. So it's just two times where Craig Ruby could not see the people he should have like be given a pass in the room. The 2014-15 Flyers, like Steve Mason, Sean Couturier were not the problems on that team, but Craig Bruby pretty much called them out publicly. And I use that to illustrate that I don't think... I think he played a role in the Blues winning last year, but I don't think the dude that was here would have been helpful in the Blues winning last year. Like, I don't see him making these comments about O'Reilly or Bennington at any point last season. And I think that goes... And that's not saying... I don't think Katuri is that far off from being Ryan O'Reilly if he's not already. And then also, uh, you know, Steve Mason had like a 920-something save percentage that one season. 
like he wasn't the the issue with the team. But I don't think like you know Bruby's not going to call out Bennington for something like that last year or this year or now. Like I feel like it was just Bruby wasn't used to actually running a team back then <laughs> or like handling being the main guy that always had to handle questions with the media. And now he kind of understands a little bit more. So it was one of those things where unfortunately I think Philly, his time in Philly helped him uh, and didn't really help the team. But uh, that's, I feel like that's usually how it goes around here. But, um, and that 2014-15 team, by the way, was fucking atrocious. I oh, should yeah. point that out. It was, it was real bad. Uh, it that was, was the all year. bad. It was, uh, that was the first year Hexall was in charge, so Hexall, a little bit of Hexall fun, like uh, Hardenal after Umberger. The gold ending was Steve Mason, Ray Emery, and Rob Zepp. You remember Rob Zepp? Yeah. Uh, Mark Streit and Nick Schultz played over 80 games for the, the, the team that year. Grossman, MDZ, McDonald, Luke Shan, Coburn, Carlo Koliakovo. Uh, and then and the Koli other Akavo thing we all... was one of the better ones on that list. No, he, he, I remember him wanting to get more ice time back then. Yeah, that was they were not a good team. They just work. Um, but I and the other thing we always talk about, or you and I reference, I know the other podcast does as well. Um, the top line, uh, raffle being on the top line that year. There was a thing that actually happened in our lifetimes, and we had to watch through it. So every Flyers game for you, uh, like young kids out there, just enjoy it because you don't have to live through that hell. But Giroux, Voracek, and Raffle, they played four sixteen oh nine together at five on five, um, which I think was the most for any five on five line. Uh, and I was trying to look it up. Those two, Drew Voracek and uh, Shen played 384-58 together, and then I think the other dominant or the prominent uh, top six line for the Flyers that year after Drew Voracek and Raffle was Umberger, Couturier, and Reed, who played 382-27. So every single night we had to watch Drew Voracek, Raffle, Umberger, Couturier, and Reed in the top six with that blue line, and that was like what Craig Ruby had to work with. So again. I get it. <laughs> but he's also an asshole. He's also an asshole, yeah. He was a guy that was hated, maybe not the best talent, and then just made it worse by being a, an outright asshole here. So, well, especially, he, you know, like, that's the best season you got out of Steve Mason, and he wasn't doing him any favors. And yeah, just, that's the thing. he probably stilted Sean Couturier's development by a couple of years. <laughs> that was the he thing. Stunted, was like, I he, guess, but, yeah. He was saying things that, like, the the idiotic Flyers fans were saying about the teams back then. And it's like, you're the guy who has, should have the most insight on how, like you shouldn't be saying the same things that people calling into like, you know, the, the fan or whatever, the bitching about the team about like, you should have a little more insight to why these things are happening. Not just like, that has got to do more. I don't know. I'm putting them out there. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll see you guys. Like that can't be your, you got to come up with something better than that. But, uh, it, you know, I guess whatever he did was better than uh, our last option here, Steve. And that is one uh, David Haxtall, who went 134, 101, and 42 in 277 regular season games with the Flyers from 2015-16 to 2018-19. 2015-16, 41, 27, and 14, lost in six games to the Caps in the first round. 2016-17, 39, 33, and 10. 10-game winning streak, no playoffs. 2017-18, 42-26-14, and 14, lost in six games to the Penguins in the first round. And, of course, uh, last season, which was beautiful, uh, fired 31 games in at 12-15-4. Dead man walking for the final eight games of his tenure, where he went 2-4-2. Two, and, two. and, of course, his last win was the 6-2 win over the Sabres in Buffalo, where the Flyers ate wings and pizza on the way to Winnipeg, where they... We're stomped by the Jets. So Dave Haxtall. Such a mature uh, 
response by our beloved Philadelphia Flyers. <laughs> it's a good time. I can eat whatever time. I want, Dad. It was a good time. There was that was a that was a fun weekend because there's that tweet going on the article about how Hextall was pretty much just like the worst thing that ever happened. To anybody ever came out, and then everybody believed that Hextall was the reason why you know Phil Veroni and all these guys weren't you know cleaning up. I don't. It was a whole dumb time to be alive. But uh, looking back at it, Dave Hextall. Not a, you know, not a great coach, for, for, for being honest here. Uh, I felt like he never got the most out of his teams. I felt like his logic and reasoning was always off. You look at that alone just uh, is highlighted by the amount of time. Chris Vandability, Travis Sandheim, Brandon Manning, and Andrew McDonald. Uh, if you just look at their ice times, that kind of explains that point. Very mediocre coach who made just baffling decisions at times. Yep. He's not the worst coach I've ever seen, but he's uh, wasn't good. I wasn't good. I just like it was all mediocre. Like you literally look at these years and they're all mediocre. There's no bottom out, but there's no real peaks either. Yeah. Except for uh, actually the middle season, there was both a bottoming out and a peak. <laughs> and I think that was kind of the. I, I don't know if that's a fair way to pin it on him. He never really seemed to like grab control of the. They, they, they were always like they always had a, a long ten game losing streak or a ten game winning streak, and I felt like he just wouldn't stop momentum. Like the in game decisions, the lack of calling timeouts, putting out the, the bottom line with Vanderbilt and Belmar in situations where like you know you need two goals late in the third. Why are you throwing those guys out there? Or it's overtime. Why am I seeing Belmore, Vandevelde, and McDonald all on the ice at once, and that's it? Like those I think types you of can those... forgive like a season of that because he's a, a an inexperienced NHL head coach, and I was excited for him because I you know was seeing a new face, seeing some fresh blood, and I hadn't seen that before for the Flyers, or at least not for a while. So I was really excited, and he just man, he just didn't learn. That was the biggest thing. Like, yeah, yeah, that was the thing. Is they ne- yeah, they just both, him and Hextall just didn't really kind of... Well, Hextall's Hextall. problem was stubbornness. Hextall's problem was just being an idiot. Like, yeah, that's Hextall, Hextall was stubborn to a point about his process and sticking to the process and not loading up on NHL talent. Like, he just waited and waited and never pulled the trigger on, okay, it's time to enact the plan like it, it just never reached that point whereas Hackstall, again you just want to see after a season or two at least like adapting and and learning how to yeah. coach the game and he just never adapted he never got better as a coach and in fact in a lot of respects he got worse and uh, maybe there was some stubbornness on his part i firmly believe that Hextall's biggest problem was the lack of nhl talent evaluation and stubbornness on you know moving to the next phase of his plan whereas hackman he just hackman he just like did not (laughs) just eating pills and getting chased by ghosts all day you know it's it's a tragedy he just didn't learn and he showed no emotion and i don't know I, i i never hated him like some people but i i i was definitely sick and tired of him by the end like that third season, uh, you got really exhausted, especially after how they lost to the Penguins in that last game, where Couturier just basically lost a leg and still scored a hat trick. And he yeah. just never quite got anywhere. 
He just stayed mediocre. He started uh, mediocre and stayed mediocre. I think that was. I think that's a fair way to put it. Is I don't. I I think going into 2018-19, it was a matter of all right. When are we actually going to fire this dude? Because I didn't think I didn't think he was going to make it all the way through the the season. And then, I mean, to think about when I think of Hextall, I think it's mainly just the. Uh, it was Hextall's commitment to him, I guess, is what pissed me off the most. Because oh, yeah. I knew Hextall was a lost cause about somewhere in 2017-18. Even early on, I have in the notes here, because, again, this is what I was talking about. Like, Hextall has this – Hextall, Laviolette, and Gordon, and AV have the disadvantage of, you know, things still being somewhat fresh in our minds. Early in the 2017-18 season, uh, Flyers lost that game in Nashville 6-5, to and it was because of – the new challenge rule being implemented, where if you challenge an offside rule late in the game and it doesn't work your fa- in your favor, you get a delay of game call. Uh, like you get a delay of game penalty called against you. So the Flyers, and I, I remember this because I remember being a, it was just a dumb thing. You just don't even take this chance on it, in my opinion. And I was saying it at the time, um, Flyers went off for at the Killy five on three with a one-goal lead under two minutes left. Both McDonald and Dale Weiss got called for penalties at the same time. Dale Weiss! Hardnell tied the game to make it 5-5 with 1.17 left, uh, so which would have meant Nashville would have the rest of regulation and a little bit of overtime for, for having a one-man power play to go, or a one-man advantage to take the lead and everything. But Haxtell challenged the entry on the goal because he felt, I think it was Kyle Turris, he, he thought Turris was offside. Or no, Turris wasn't there yet. Somebody was offsides. Flyers lose that challenge, so the goal stands, game is still tied, and instead of killing off a 5-on-4, the Flyers go back to killing a 5-on-3, and then the Predators score, Phil Forsberg scores the 36 seconds left to win. And again, fourth game of the season, you know, theoretically they could have only lost out on a point, and then, you know, that stuff really may not matter to you in October, but later in the season, Drew has to score a hat-trick in game 82 because the Flyers need a point to get into the postseason. So it's just that kind of stupid shit that he did. Like that was a game you didn't you, you didn't need to make that challenge right then and there. Because at the worst, that's what happens. And at the best, like I the goal comes off, but it's still gonna be a five on three. It's still a highly unlikely situation that I felt like the the challenge was wasn't worth it. Like the good wasn't gonna outweigh. If you somehow win that challenge, you could win the game, sure. But it was a very questionable call at the time and I don't what could have happened is what happened. And I felt like he made a lot of dumbass decisions like that, but that was just never learned how to be an NHL coach. Is that simple? Yeah, no, I, like, it's really what it is. Yeah. And I think maybe, I mean, maybe the, the big thing is maybe you should have had, maybe you should have had time, you know, as an assistant coach under somebody more experienced, you know, I, yeah, I, I like the, the play, answer. but Hextall stuck with it way too long. Like yeah, after, that's uh, he, he, and he just wouldn't, he refused to even consider getting rid of Hackstall, which is, I think, our most frustrating thing. He just refused to even yeah. consider it for a second. And, yeah. man, it, it's just the most frustrating era, I think, of Flyers history. Yeah, for and again, it, I think I think some people may be overlooking some of the nice things that are going to benefit the Flyers going forward now. Things like, you know, Proveroff and Sanheim and Konechny are all here because of 
you know, because of Hextall and also because of Hextall's good uh, ability to hand out contracts. Victoria's on that nice deal. Ghost should be in theoretical in theory on a nice deal, but all these Carl players. Drew are... had a hundred and two point season under Hackstall too, which is, you know, a lot of that was also due to the move to the wing. Couturier finally blossomed under him, so there were a couple good things that happened, but there was a lot. You know, I'm sure nobody will want to give him any credit whatsoever, but well, he did make the decision say... to move him up to the wing and play with Couturier. Well, move Drew to the wing and play with Couturier. So that, no, that honestly a... is a. That's a big deal, especially because it's still paying dividends today. Yeah, yeah but but that was, apparently was it came to light that that was Hextall's idea. Oh, like okay. they dropped. So, it, yeah, so that's the whole thing. So like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so it was literally, it was literally like that was the one thing because that was the thing people pointed to like early in that season, and then I think they made a big deal of it. Like, the game that led to Hextall getting fired was a six nothing loss in Toronto. And then the day before, that was a Black Friday game where they beat the Rangers 4 nothing. I think on the broadcast, it was an NBC broadcast, I think Pierre Maguire like, went out of his way to be like, yeah, and Hextall was the one that said like in passing, like, hey, Hextall, won't you, or hey, Dave, won't you try putting Drew on the top line? I and know, Doc. Like, oh, Ron Hextall, the yeah, GM of the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers, came down, and he said, why don't you move this guy to the wing where he'll probably be more productive because he's getting old, can't play center as good anymore, Doc. <laughs> A former guy, no, I'm bleak here, uh, loop pig here, just, uh, yes, uh, yeah, just going on like random shit. Pierre Very I, interesting know. factoid from Pierre Maguire between the glass. I, uh, I haven't thought about Pierre in a minute, and I'm happy I haven't. Like, I completely forgot what his voice sounds like. I don't think I've had the, I can't even remember the last oh, There's no way the, you've the, forgotten what Pierre Maguire's voice sounds like. All the way down to Flin Flon, <laughs> Manitoba, where... Craig Forsyth <laughs> first learned how to hold a microphone. Same town where Bobby Clark uh, learned how to play hockey and, uh, well, yeah, I, I got nothing. I was going to say I have diabetes. He had his diabetes his entire life, yeah. So, good old Flin Flon, though. That's, uh, holy shit. We're, what are we talking about here? The, the, We're Dave talking Haxtell. about Dave Haxtell, Doc. <laughs> Dave Haxtell. Uh, not, a, not a great coach. Still not, Still not a good coach, in my opinion. Even now, <laughs> and that's uh, and that's that. That was the. Uh, we well, said did we you want to talk briefly Scott. about Scott Gordon and Elaine Vigneault thus far? Yeah, I, to, think yeah. I uh, Scott Gordon again uh, came in pretty terrible situation. 20, 25, 22 and four gave us the bean pot trot. Uh, the bean and also, pot trot. Whoa. That was that was bad. also one. Guys, if you doing... we might have listeners that don't remember the bean pot trot episode, but if you have not oh, yeah. seen. Former Flyers coach Scott Gordon uh, do the Beanpot Trot with his uh, college hockey team. Please look this up on YouTube. This is a marvel of 80s culture right that's here. That's the one thing you got to take away from this episode. Yeah, it's just rewatching that because that's uh, it's a golden. It's golden. Yeah, it's a good one. Golden oldie, I think is what they say. Yeah, so that's uh, I think in the 80s. That, yeah, that's the, the 80s because it's 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 exactly like the Super Bowl shuffle. But for that's exactly okay. yeah, and there, you know, there's a lot of good ripoffs of the Super Bowl Shuffle, especially the Eagles. Buddies watching you, buddies watching you is fantastic. <laughs> buddies watching you, he's watching. Yes, he's watching. That's a good one. Yeah. And uh, Philly so fans are too. But as a as a coach here, not that not that great. I mean, again, in his defense, I felt like he didn't really get. 
a lot is made about like coaches implementing systems early on in the season. He never really got to do that because he wasn't here for the early part of the season. And then teams get caught up in road schedules and everything. Didn't really get to, uh, I guess, uh, work the systems he really wanted to work. Celebrated but, for not being Dave Haxtell. Yeah, I mean that was his big that was his big uh, deal was just not being Dave Haxtell, and people love that about him. They're like, "Well, you're not Dave Haxtell, so get in here and coach our team." But I, I'm happy he just went back to. Uh, I'm I'm happy he's not here now because <laughs> I like AV a lot. Uh, I again, I don't. I think with AV we have we're still in the honeymoon phase, so he hasn't done anything annoying yet. You know he's going to mess up eventually, but right now uh, he seems to be pushing all the right buttons. Uh, seems to be getting the most out of the team. You don't know he's not going to be Scotty Bowman and just be massively successful here for a couple decades. <laughs> that's fine. I'll take that. Yeah. I'll, if hopefully I'm wrong, that's stupid. He just ends up happening. I, I think Landon has <laughs> been great so far. He really. I was very skeptical, and he's come together nicely and just. It really it's rallied this team seemed to learn a lot of the the strengths of uh of the entire roster and doesn't yeah. seem to to lean on any chris vandevelde types and uh to chuck fletcher's credit he has not really put too many chris vandevelde types on this roster i think that's a helpful thing and also i think uh th- there seems to be no the thing with Haxtell and, and Ruby, too, where there were several things you could point to each game and be like, why are we doing this? And now they still come up occasionally with Vigneault, but even if they do, he'll explain it. Or, like, if you question it, it's not some bullshit thing about veteran leadership or, oh, well, you know, when you play the game, it's just he actually gives you the X's and O's and lays it out. Or will just give you his honest opinion about something, which is nice and I think is helpful when... Uh, leading men, you know, uh, leading men in the field of battle. That's what you need. It's just, uh, just gotta be, uh, just gotta lead by example, you know, that's what yep. it comes down to. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's what being a dad's all about. So that's what, and that's what this weekend's all about. And that's why we're doing this ranking. So we're doing the best coaches since 2000, uh, cause of father's day, right? Do you have that's a, a you wanna... the only reason? It's the only reason we're. Do- that's the only reason why we're doing it. So be a uh, fucking flyer and be a fucking. <laughs> I will say that in that too. I don't think if Hacksaw had given us something like that, I think Flyers fans would have been on the side. But giving a uh, be a fucking flyer is a pretty pretty awesome statement. I don't think Hackstall cursed. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think, I think he just uh, quietly again. like whittled at home or something. <laughs> it just it. Had- just did nothing. <laughs> Whittled. Just sat there on his porch, carving away at some wood. Uh, but you want to rank these bad boys? You want to see where they stack up? Uh, get these. Uh, I mean, I got nothing. Uh, I guess Laviolette's got to be number one, right? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, Laviolette uh, is the guy who made the Stanley Cup, right? Who actually made the Stanley yeah. Cup final? The only one in this twenty-year stretch. Which and then you know. Hitchcock. I would do Hitchcock next, yeah. And then I think it comes to Nielsen or uh, Stevens. Probably do Nielsen, then Stevens. Stevens. And then I guess we got to go Bill Barber, huh? Hmm. It's Bill Barber or Hackstall or Berube. Barber is before Berube. We're not, and we're not ranking... Uh... 
Actually, are, I are, are we going to rank uh, what's his face with Craig Ramsey? I mean, he's not making the top. You know, he's he's down there. He's not making the top eight. Uh, we'll put him eighth. He's dead last. It's yeah, Is Craig it? Ramsey or Dave Axel's dead he's last. Dead, he's dead. He's dead last. Yeah, sorry about. Yeah, uh, uh, I guess Bill Barber then. Who? Bill Barber, well, Bruby, Hackstall, Ramsey. Yeah, I guess that's me... fair. I mean, you could put Hack. Should we just put Hackstall at the bottom to to? Because everybody's craving blood. Can we just throw him in the bottom so everybody? Bo, goes, oh, Bo, Steve, Craig put... Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. You know what? Yeah, I don't care. Let's spice it up. We're. For, I what, mean, what is, you know, we're Dave three Hackstall's months in the fuck episode. I don't like care. The bland Dude. son of. Uh, Mike Babcock, whereas you know Craig Ramsey <laughs> looks like a Bond villain. I, Craig Ramsey was not good. Yeah, no, you know, put Hackstall last. We need to spice this up. Let's get the Hackstall heads on us and get mad at uh, ranking Hackstall dead last or something. Do you think there's there's do, nobody? There's no, way. there's no love. There. There's no way. There's <laughs> like, no way. There are, like, I was the last person to, out there. to call for his blood. I was, I think, I the think last were, person. Actually, yeah. And we were definitely very hesitant on. Uh, I think, well, we were both reserved on Hextall a lot. I was giving up. We were both later on Hextall, but you definitely, I think you did hang on longer than I did. <laughs> I hung on pretty long, and I think, like, I think mid-third season. I'm like, I've had enough. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it just it got old. It was, uh, he just wasn't doing much to really help the team win. So it was. Uh, well, and then I think the definitive, great. again, the definitive, like, he got a go point was that penguin series where he just looked so overmatched. Like, I can't believe the flyers won two God, games in that the series. Work. I, uh, yeah. And like, part of that is just, I mean, part of that, the, the, it was just, the hockey. And sometimes you're just going to win games. Like I, the flyers shouldn't have been in that series at all. And it wasn't, he didn't help the team. He was just so bad in playoff series. He got pounded in 2016. He got pounded in 2018. Like, there's a both series they were supposed to lose, but he didn't do anything to shorten the gap of skill. He just kind of put it – he showcased how bad those, like the difference was in those teams. So and like, he, I'll give it to Ruby. He had that, that series against a tough Rangers team. And it was a, yeah. They, almost, got, they like, almost won that series. Like, looking back on it, like – Looking back at Bruby's time in Philly, like I can see traces as to why he was good in St. Louis. I just like the, I think some people were. I don't think a lot of people, but I think some people were like wondering why that Bruby wasn't here in Philly. And I think he just had to become that guy. If that makes sense. But <laughs> no, you're right. He had to learn like, to Bruby, not throw his serious. best players under the bus. Yeah, like hey, don't make these dumbass comments. And then it, he was given Ryan O'Reilly and Bennington, and they were like, yeah, there you go. Uh, right, right. But he, yeah, but that series and that was better than, yeah, because Haxtell, and again, both those series that Haxtell had, 2016 went to six games, but it was after the Flyers went down 3 nothing in that series, and Michael Norvith had maybe the greatest goaltending performance ever to make it go to six games. And then the same thing in 2018. I still can't believe Flyers that. are down 3-1, to one, and then Couturier, on the, you know, all the torn ligaments in his knee, Carried the team to a win in Game Five in Pittsburgh, and then got a had five points and a hat trick in Game Six. So he had a lot of guys doing unheard of work, and still wasn't enough. And you know, it, you can basically just blame Dave Haxtall for uh, destroying a lot of interest in the Flyers franchise. But oh my God, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the results are extremely mediocre. Like they literally were the most mediocre team in sports over that stretch. 
yep. I, I don't know if mediocrity is necessarily the worst, but I think for the, the purposes of ranking, we can rate that as the worst. Oh, yeah. I Well, and also as Flyers fans, I felt like growing up, it was a very consistent, it was the same cycle every single year. It was just the Flyers would make some kind of move at the deadline to push your team up to being like a really competitive playoff team, win a playoff round or two, and make a deep run. And then they just keep doing that over and over again. And then the Hackstall Flyers were just, you knew this team wasn't going to do anything special. They weren't going to trade for people. And then you were going to see them kind of softly go out at the end of the regular season. That was it. Like it was just the entire time he was here, those four years were just not, you couldn't really get excited for much. I don't know. Like it just was very anti Flyers hockey. So I get it. Yeah, he's dead last. Put him last. He's behind. Uh, he's behind Craig. Put him last. <laughs> I mean, last. just look at you even just look at like points percentage, for instance, and like his teams are just not not great. Oh God, yeah, yeah. No, none of his teams like none of them drove play either. Like, if you want to get nerdy about it, none of them were really good at like controlling the games. And uh, the only defense I had for him was the goaltending stat. I think like in his time here, the Flyers finished twenty fifth in save percentage, which. It's partly because of systems, but then also just not having an actual goalie. But I don't really think with goaltending that team, his teams are doing shit. So it's uh, one man's opinion, Steve. Yeah, I think if one, one thing. June night, <laughs> months removed from hockey in either direction. That's my opinion. I think if there's one takeaway from this, it's often the Flyers. It's often the Flyers don't give the coaches enough time. Or they're just very bad with the timing on these moves. You know, like, Hackstall, they waited too long. Uh, LaViolette, they probably, they waited three games too long. If they were going to pull that trigger, they should have just yeah. pulled it in the offseason. Uh, you look at, like, Nielsen. I think Hitchcock had a similar thing. Nielsen is just a botched, one of the most botched moves in Flyers history. Just a complete disaster. Yeah. And they were very, yeah. like Bob Clark at that point was just terrible at handling any sort of situation. Uh, yeah. Just completely botched everything with Eric Lindros, botched everything with Roger Nielsen. It was just not a good era. Like it's it's almost hard to believe that that Clark's tenure as GM lasted as long as it did, considering these situations. Some of the moves he did, yeah, <laughs> which is fair, yeah. Oh God, yeah, they really. I mean, I feel like he could probably go through and point that out for. No, not this bad. I don't know. This is this. Is, this feels like a Flyers dysfunction here. So it's not like a usual. I was gonna say a lot of teams do the thing that like the Flyers did in 2009-10, I think, where they fire a coach midseason and then that coach goes on to have a pretty good. Well, I mean, fucking Bruby did it in St. Louis, um, and like the, the Penguins did it with Sullivan and Bilesma. So. Like, I guess that's timing, but, like, the... I'm actually shocked the Penguins just don't fire coaches midseason every year. Yeah, it seems to be the way they get cups. So, if you figure out one way to do that, you may as well stick with it. But the the firing, like, three three games into a season is... Like, that's the true sign of, like, an ineptitude, I guess. Like, because you you knew something was going to happen one way or another. Like, just doing it then made... It was just the worst point in time. That's Flyers hockey, though, you know? That's Flyers Hockey. And that's all we got on this wonderful podcast. If you have any feedback for us, the best place is on twitter.com.org.edu.ca. You can reach Craig at Sports Are Bad. Yep. Yep. You can reach me. <laughs> no, I, I, no, 
That's fine. Uh, I should have. Buddy, you're doing two podcasts a week. You don't need to do any more than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. It's, that's right. You tell the people that. Let them know. I don't need to do anything else. Don't need to do you anything let them know. Anything at all. <laughs> you can reach Greg at Sports of Bad. You can reach me at Flyperbole or at Esteban. But for your hockey needs, make it Flyperbole. Follow BSH Radio and follow Broad Street Hockey. That is all we got, folks. Remember, stay safe out there. Wear a damn mask. I'm seeing too many of you people walking around without masks. Keep the masks on. COVID is not done. Keep fighting the good fight there. All right. Until next time, in the words of the great Gene Hart, good night and good hockey. Hello, everybody. This is Fly Purbly. It is a podcast about hockey, mostly the Flyers, but also other hockey things, like other hockey teams that play the sport of hockey. Steve, but not Steve Hartnell, and Craig, but not Craig Ruby. No, this isn't all those hockey guys. These are the guys who watch the hockey sport. Yeah!